Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. The law can't save you. The law can't redeem you. Number one, you're never going to keep the law. The law was never meant to save you. The law was simply meant to expose to you the fact that, well, you're pretty broken. You're pretty broken. And God's standard is way up here. And the best you'll ever do, you and I will ever do on our own, is way down there. We will never, never get close to hitting his mark. You can't do it. We all know what it feels like to be under pressure, not fun. Today, Pastor James reminds us that when it comes to Jesus, the pressure has been released. The law of the Old Testament was never meant to save. It was merely meant to expose our own failings. In our own strength, there's nothing we can do to get to heaven. It's only by the blood of Jesus Christ that we have any hope at all. So take the pressure off, trust in Jesus, and strive to be more like Him every day. And remember, it's not your works, but your faith. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Ruth, chapter 4, with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. chapter 4. Beautiful story, the story of redemption. This is the book of Ruth, the story of redemption. In fact, the, the term redeemed or redemption or bought or purchased, because it all means the same thing. To redeem something is to pay a price for something, okay? Within chapter 4 alone, depending on your version, uh, I counted 16 references for redeem, redemption, purchase, bought, because again, remember, they all basically mean the same thing. Yours may, if it's New King James or ESV, it may be around 15, but anywhere from 15 to 16 references of redeeming and redemption are in this final chapter. The story of Ruth is not so much about Ruth. It's not so much about Naomi. It's not so much about Boaz. It is all and completely about the faithfulness of God and Jesus. All right, so if you want to, you know, what's the book of Ruth about? The book of Ruth is about Jesus loving us and paying the price for us, period, okay? Now, you have a very historical account and a very historical family that he uses their story as a beautiful illustration of what he's done for us. So we're going to wrap up this beautiful little book and say goodbye to our friends, Boaz and Ruth and Naomi. And we'll encounter them and their family lineage and story at a later date, okay? Let's get into this. Um, Context, okay? Because this is the key. But chapter three, you have basically a marriage proposal that takes place, okay? Um, Naomi goes to Ruth and says, look, Boaz is the one. He's the one for you, okay? You don't need to take any test in any kind of magazine or anything like that. He is the one for you. I'm your mother-in-law, and I say so, so go after this guy, right? He's the kinsman redeemer. He's not the closest one, but he is, he's the next closest one, all right? So they arrange this where Ruth goes to Boaz in the middle of the night, uncovers his feet, lays down at his feet. He wakes up around midnight and is wondering who is laying at my feet, and she says, look, it's, it's me, Ruth. Um, you know, spread your cloak over me. Basically saying, look, I, I pick you. 
I pick you. I want you to marry me. I want to be your wife. And Boaz is super humbled by it and by her faithfulness and her commitment to Naomi and Naomi's family. And not even that, but just to the people of Israel as well. Because remember, Naomi or Ruth is a Moabitess, right? So the chapter ends with Boaz going off to go find the kinsman redeemer, the nearest one. And Ruth goes back to Naomi with 60 pounds of grain, you know, now that I mean, we talked about that too. That's double what she got the first time she met Boaz. So she goes back to Naomi as Boaz goes to find this closest, nearest kinsman redeemer, all right? Um, kinsman redeemer, um, it's Leviticus chapter 25 is where it talks about that. The Leverite uh, marriage, which we talked about last week, that's Deuteronomy chapter 25. Those are just references if you want to go back and do some study on that. But the kinsman redeemer is basically, it's preserving the family lineage and they own property. And so you want to keep that property in the family. Number one, it's going to benefit, let's say in this case, Naomi's husband died and then her two sons died. Well, they still own the plot of land. And that meant that there was going to be something uh, that Naomi could live off of. Now, in their story... This is, uh, we don't know this for sure, but this is kind of what it seems like, is they kind of have a mortgage on this land, right? They still got to pay it off. Naomi has no money. Ruth has no money, right? So this is part of why Boaz is going to step in, and he's going to pay the mortgage off. He's going to pay for it. He's going to redeem that family, that plot of land, because the other thing that was happening in Israel with these kind of stories is people who had money were more than willing to jump in and buy the land from families, Okay, and then they would sometimes use that to take advantage of poor people, right? So the Lord was always protecting. He always wanted to protect his people from, well, from selfishness, from greed, from sin. So this is why this kinsman redeemer thing is in effect is so that it's preserving the family line. It's, it's keeping the name going for the family, but it's also um, preserving the land and, and especially the ones who own the land. Okay, it's very smart by God. You know, surprise, surprise. He's the smartest being ever, okay? Okay? He already knew all this stuff. And he's like, look, if you just do this, you'll probably be okay. Problem is, is that Israel is just like us, and it didn't take them long to mess it all up. And then they end up in 70 years of captivity because they couldn't just simply obey what God had already put in place. So it's like the story of my life, okay? It's like the story of my life. God's like, if you just listen to me right? If you just do what I say. And I'm like, well, that sounds good, but sometimes my ideas sound better. And he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> Here comes Babylon. Um, anyways, so this is the whole kinsman redeemer, the Leverite marriage. That's the continuing on of the family name. The next kin, you know, who's available could marry the widow and keep the, the family name going. So, Chapter four brings us up to speed. Now where the camera, if you're watching a movie, okay, the scene has shifted and now the focus is on Boaz. We're following Boaz. So in your brain, you can envision that you're watching this, this Hallmark movie. That's kind of what it feels like, right? If we're honest, it feels like Hallmark. Um, the cameras are following Boaz, right? As he's going off on a mission. Verse one. So Boaz went to the town gate and took a seat there. When the family redeemer, or the kinsman redeemer, as your, your translation may have, he had mentioned came by, Boaz called out to him, 
come over here, friend. I want to talk to you. So they sat down together, all right? So even just within verse 1 of this, I mean, the sovereignty of God is on full display here, okay? Number one, I do want to point out the fact that Boaz goes and sits at the city gate, meaning that he is probably one of the ruling officials kind of guys in that city. Proverbs chapter 31, virtuous woman. Uh, Her husband would be known by sitting at the gates, okay? Which is kind of interesting because the guy who wrote that is the great, great grandson of Ruth, if I got that right. It could, be, it could be another great in there. I don't know. But he's related to her. And so it was his great, great grandfather or great, great, great grandfather who was one of these guys sitting at the city gates. All very fascinating because Solomon wrote that. And that's, he's all part of the family. So here's Boaz, goes to the gate, took a seat there because that's where he belongs. He's not only a good boss, he's involved within the town and the leadership of the town, which is a good thing, and the dealings of the town. Any any legal matters, and especially when you're dealing with uh, property sales and, and things like that, they happen at the city gate, okay? That's where it all went down. And Boaz is one of the guys there. And it just so happens, isn't this fascinating, that on that day, it just so happens that the kinsman redeemer just so happened to be walking by. <laughs> Can you believe? What are the odds? Well, uh, probably astronomical, I would assume. But when you're dealing with God, there's no coincidences. There's no luck. There's no chance. There's, there's none of that stuff. It's all orchestrated. Even the most minute details of your life structured and ordered by God. So here's Boaz. He's like, well, I got to find this guy. I'll just go sit at the gate and maybe he'll show up. Maybe he'll come to town today. I don't know. Maybe Boaz knows the schedule. We don't know that. All we know is that there's Boaz sitting at the gate and this guy comes, the family redeemer comes strolling on by. And Boaz is like, hey, (laughs) buddy, we need to have a talk. Come sit by me, friend. (laughs) They're related. Uh, They probably have known each other for a while, I would assume. But Boaz is like, hey, 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 we need to talk. So this guy says they sat down together. Boaz called 10 leaders from the town and asked them to sit in as witnesses. So now this guy's thinking like, okay, well, what's going on here? Okay, now you're bringing in eyewitnesses, 10 men. That's a, that's a cool, that's a good Jewish thing, a good law that they had going on there, making everything official. So you got 10 men. They're all going to sit down. They're going to oversee what's about to happen, and they're going to Basically, they're the witnesses to this account, making sure that everything is done properly and in orderly, and there's nobody can go back on any dealings, right? Because you got 10 witnesses. So you got his 10 witnesses, verse 3, and Boaz said to the family redeemer, the kinsman redeemer, you know Naomi, who came back from Moab. She is selling the land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I felt that I should speak to you about it so that you can redeem it if you wish. If you want the land, then buy it here in the presence of these witnesses. But if you don't want it, let me know right away because I'm next in line to redeem it right after you. So he starts off with this, let's talk about the land, okay? Which is an interesting thing that he would even start with this. Because he's like, he gets this guy and he's like, hey, look, and this is where we think that Naomi had like a a mortgage out on it. Because he's like, she's got to sell the land because she has no money. So maybe she's got to pay off what they owed because her husband, the famine came and he's like, hey, let's get out of town. Well, no, you can't leave. No, stick it out. But it's, it's punishment. And it probably was punishment by God on the nation of Israel, the famine. 
Because remember, this story is happening during the times of Judges, right? So you got Joshua, Judges, Ruth. Ruth is technically a little micro kind of story that is pulled out of the book of Judges. At what point in time in the book of Judges? Kind of probably towards the end. It's crazy. There, there's no king. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. That verse is repeated numerous times throughout the book of Judges to, to help us understand that. Listen, they were just caught up in the sin cycle where they're, they're compromising and they're, they're rebelling and then they, they're just spiraling out of control and then God sends some people, different groups to go in and to, to punish them and so that they could repent and turn back to them. And they just constantly were doing the same, just the same spiral. So because of the famine, Elimelech was like, well, look, the grass looks greener in Moab. So let's go there, right? Should he have stayed? Probably, probably. Do we know what would have happened? No, we don't. We, you don't know. We don't know. What if he did stay? I don't know. Well, how, Ruth, how does Ruth get there? I don't know. We don't need to speculate. We don't need to go in those places. What we know is the guy left. He died. His two sons died. Naomi comes back, minus those guys, plus her daughter-in-law. And now they find themselves in this position and yeah, Ruth is out working the fields, picking up the stocks and whatever gets left behind. But they got to make a move. They're going to sell this land that's been a part of their family for who knows how long. So Boaz is like, look, this is how it's been set up. You have first dibs on this property. You got first dibs. And I admire that about Boaz because he didn't have to include that. He could have started with, hey, you know that Naomi? Yeah. You know Ruth? Yeah, I've heard about Ruth. Well, um, you're up. You're next up to marry her. He didn't have to say anything about the land. He didn't have to. The guy probably would have known anyways, but he could have started with, hey, you need to marry Ruth. I think it's admirable that he's willing to lead first with the property and to let him know, like, look, here, here's what it is. Understanding that if this guy says yes, then Boaz is out. Boaz doesn't want the property. He doesn't need it. He wants Ruth. So he leads with the land, and, and he probably knows, well, you'd be an idiot if you didn't want the land. You can, you know, develop all sorts of things, but you, you can't make land. You can't make property, right? Dwayne Munoz will tell you that. He invests in land because all we have is what we have, right? So if it's available, buy land, Right? So Boaz knows this guy's probably going to, he's going to bite on that. But he's, he has the Ruth card to play next, all right? So this man replies. This man is unknown. He's not given a name. So who is he? Doesn't matter. Who cares? This is all we ever hear about him. This is all you'll ever hear about him, okay? So he's just the closest one. He says, all right, I'll redeem it. Yeah, I'll buy it. I'll buy the land. Then Boaz told him, of course... Now, however, <laughs> I'm glad you're willing to do that. But there's something else you need to know. Of course, your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth, the Moabite widow. That way, she can have children who will carry on her husband's name and keep the land in the family. He's like, so he's like, well, wait a minute. Well, I'm buying this land, but it's not really ever going to be mine. Because if, if I buy the land... Then I get Ruth, and we don't even know if this guy's married or not. 
But he's like, but then I, I have to marry this girl. And then the first son that she produces, technically the land goes to him. But I was like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. He's like, I'm out. I'm out. Because this would jeopardize his inheritance. There was a, a willingness to purchase the land, but there was not a willingness to redeem the woman. So this guy, he, he responds, he's like, I can't redeem it. The family redeemer replied, because this might endanger my own estate. You redeem the land. I can't do it. This is a fascinating thing, okay? Because there's a lot of parallels with Boaz being like Jesus, right? And in one sense, in this unknown guy, and whether, whether this is meant to be or not, it, it, in some ways, it, he kind of feels like he represents the law in one sense, Okay? Because the law can't save you. The law can't redeem you. Number one, you're never going to keep the law. The law was never meant to save you. The law was simply meant to expose to you the fact that, well, you're pretty broken. You're pretty broken. And God's standard is way up here. And the best you'll ever do, you and I will ever do on our own, is way down there. We will never, never get close to hitting his mark. You can't do it. There's not enough money on this planet. There's not enough good deeds to even be done on this planet. You need a Boaz. We need Boaz. We need somebody who is not only willing to, to step in, that like wants to do it, but is willing to pay the price in order to do it, to get the whole thing. This kinsman redeemer, he's like, I can't do it. This is impossible for me. You do it. Which is probably music to Boaz's ears, right? This is the response he wanted to hear. But he was an honorable man. He wasn't going to like try to sugarcoat it or, or, or really try to like deceive him in, in any kind of way. He was going to just tell him, here's the facts. Here's the story. And you got to be trusting in God. He had to be trusting in God. Because he's like, look, Lord, I'm going to lay it all out there. This guy has every right to the land and to Ruth. But I'm trusting you. You got Ruth for me. So I'm, I'm just going to lay it all out there. I'll be as honest as I possibly can. Here's the facts. He placed that not in this guy's hand. He placed that in the Lord's hands. The Lord's like, I got you. Don't worry about it, Boaz. If it was me, I'd been sweating a little bit. I'd be like, oh, man. <laughs> like, how can I, you know, the, the, the salesman in all of us wants to come out during these times where it's like, how can I spin this to where he wouldn't want it at all, right? He's Ruth. Have you heard the stories about Ruth? I mean, I mean, my goodness. Yeah, like making up all kinds of things, right? And he's like, no, 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 no. She's the most beautiful woman ever. She's impressive. She's the coolest thing that's ever happened to Bethlehem. And this land, great land. It's not a lot of land, but it's great land. The guy's like, I can't do it. I, I'm sorry, but I can't. Why don't you do it, Boaz? That's what he wanted to hear. That's what he was hoping to hear. I'm sure that's what he was praying to hear. Verse 7 says, in those days, it was a custom in Israel for anyone transferring the right of purchase, this is strange, to remove his sandal and hand it to the other party. And this publicly validated the transaction. So the other family redeemer drew off his sandal, as he said to Boaz, you buy the land. So he's like exchanging flip-flops here. It's like, what? 
Although that would be kind of funny. You go to buy a house, and the, the guy selling you the house is like, all right, here's, here's my bands, here's my slip-ons, right? And you're like, oh, this is how we do this? Um, this makes it legal? Yeah, well, here it does. This is part of the custom. This is what they did. So in the presence of these 10 witnesses, which is funny, 10, it's a fascinating biblical number. Um, we have the 10 commandments. Now, that's not all of the law, but that is the law summed up, basically. And now Jesus summarized it even smaller than that. Praise God for that. Because even remembering 10 is hard for me. He's like, love God and love your neighbor. You know, just focusing on those things. Now I'm like, I can't even remember what the 10th one is. Um, Here you have a witness of 10 that are saying, it's legal, it's validated, it's done. It's a done deal. And there's Boaz redeeming this Gentile woman, taking a risk himself to pay the price for her that nobody else could pay. I mean, if you don't see Jesus in the story, you need to start back in chapter one and reread the thing. This is what Jesus did for us. Here's what's so cool about this story, the parallel, okay? You have God the Father, God the Son, who's Jesus Christ, And you have the Holy Spirit, Trinity, living in perfect communion and community without us even existing, without any earth, anything, perfect, harmonious. They don't need us. It's perfect. They say, you know what? Let's make some stuff. Let's make an earth. Let's fill it with people. Let's make some angels. A third of those guys are going to lose their brains, and they're going to rebel against us, thinking they can actually overpower us. We'll boot them out of it. And then they're going to cause problems for these beautiful creations that we make called people that will be made in our image. But they're going to mess up. They'll mess up. But the only way to redeem them, the only way to fix it, is we got to become the closest kinsman redeemer to them. One of us is going to have to become one of them. One of us will need to become a human. And that's where you get Jesus in his virgin birth. You have the incarnation of God, God in flesh. Jesus shows up to what? So that he could become our nearest, closest kinsman redeemer because he had to become a human. He had to live a perfect life so that he could die on the cross paying the perfect price to redeem us. It's the only way. And it's the most beautiful story ever. And that's what you get in the book of Ruth. It's like Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I mean, just all over it. That's what's so amazing about this story. But even more amazing about Jesus, the fact that he would come to this earth and that he would live a sinless, a perfect life and take on all of my sins on the cross. Amazing. And that for the first moment in his eternal existence, he would suffer separation from the Father simply because he was paying the price for my sins. It never happened. They had never been apart. They had never been apart. That's part of that cry. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Your junk, my junk, was all poured out on him, on our kinsman redeemer. And he gladly paid the price. Gladly paid the price. 
He was Boaz in the grand story of it all. And he says, listen, I don't care what the price is. I'll pay it. That's all the time we have for today on Bread for the Broken. We're so glad that you joined us as Pastor James Grizzle teaches through the book of Ruth. Even though Ruth was written long ago, it's still incredible to see how God has worked through the lives of so many people, even thousands of years ago. What hope that should give you! God never stops working, even when you don't understand what He's doing. What a great example we can learn from! No matter where you come from or who you were in the past, you can be redeemed to bring God glory. If you'd like to listen to today's teaching again or hear more verse-by-verse teachings from Pastor James, visit breadforthebroken.com and click on the Teachings tab. While you're visiting breadforthebroken.com, you'll also be able to learn more about the church behind this ministry. Calvary Galveston is a church of ordinary people striving to love and live just as Jesus did. If you're ever in the Galveston area, we would love to have you visit. Or if you're looking for a new church home, you're always welcome. We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. for worship and studying the Bible. Our atmosphere is pretty relaxed, so feel free to just come as you are. All the information you need is at breadforthebroken.com. We'd love to connect with you too, so drop us a note in the contact form to let us know how we can be praying for you. Our website, one more time, is breadforthebroken.com. Thanks for tuning in today to Pastor James's teaching on Bread for the Broken. Bread for the Broken